Good morning. We're so glad you're here. We're going to open our Bibles and listen to God speak to us through His Word. This morning we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting at verse 8 and moving down through verse 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. It will be our opportunity to learn more about how life here on earth, when God is left out, cannot provide the meaning or satisfaction we need and cannot prepare us for death. Solomon says earlier in chapter 5, God is the one you must fear. That's the way we ought to be living. A heart that respects God produces the life of respect for Him that is fulfilling far beyond what this world has to offer. Those are the kinds of things we'll be looking at today in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. We'll begin that study after prayer. Heavenly Father, we adore Thee and take this time to thank Thee for Thy Word, for Thy Son, for all the rich motives that take us to Thee for eternal blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I'm going to start reading at verse 8 over through verse 20. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivating fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sleep... I'm sorry, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. This is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot." Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them 
and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. I want us to begin our study of Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 20 by highlighting and taking as our launching point in this section one very simple phrase. And this phrase captures what we're going to discover from verse 8 to verse 20 in Ecclesiastes 5. Do not be amazed. If you have the NIV, the New International Version, do not be surprised. If you have the New King James, it will say, do not marvel. In the English Standard Version, do not be amazed. Now, what's that about? Well, look back into the paragraph and think about these realities of life under the sun poetically described by Solomon. And make a list of these things. And then go back and look at that statement, that imperative. Actually a prohibition, do not be amazed. Solomon in this section talks about the oppression of the poor. The violation of justice and righteousness. Sometimes gain for the many means a loss for a few. And in some situations, it is the reverse of that. There is the love of money. There is what someone has called the indigestion of materialism. There's unexplained sudden losses in tragedy. There is the reality of dying with nothing. And then he uses descriptive terms here, darkness and vexation and sickness and anger. Now, are you depressed yet? But Solomon's point is never to depress us, but to rattle us and shake us up to see that life here on earth under the sun is vain and troublesome and completely unsatisfying when God is left out. And that's the primary theme, or at least connects to the primary theme of the book. Life here on earth under the sun is vain and troublesome and utterly unsatisfying when we leave God out. So as we navigate life and we encounter these tough realities described by Solomon, Solomon tells us ahead of time, don't be surprised. Do not be amazed. If we see that weak, poor people are oppressed, justice and righteousness is ignored, that should not surprise us. This is the way it is. Solomon says, do not be amazed or do not be surprised, whatever the imperative is in your translation. Now, let's give specific attention to this in the second part of verse 8. Something is said in the second part of verse 8 that we need to focus on and talk about for a few minutes. It says, For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. 
we're going to park here a few minutes. There are some differences when you compare translations here. I've read from the English Standard Version, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. If you have the NIV, one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. And I know some of you have the New King James, for high official watches ever high official and higher officials are over them. Now, whatever this is, it is connected to the oppression that Solomon describes in this section, in these verses. The violent perversion of justice and righteousness and people being hurt and tragedy. It's connected to whatever this is saying in verse 8. So, I'm going to tell you what I see. And you don't have to sign on to it. But all I can do is tell you what I see and the conclusion I've drawn. And I'm not talking here, it's going to sound like it, but I'm not talking about modern politics. You may or may not see a corollary. I'll let you figure that out in your mind. But I'm going to describe what I see here on the page in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 8, given the context of oppression and injustice and righteousness, and it requires a complex sentence for me to describe it. When the poor are oppressed, and when justice and righteousness is ignored, do not be surprised if there are high officials in power who are watching each other, but not attending to the needs of the people. And in these layers and levels of government bureaucracy, what is good and right gets lost. Now, that's my paraphrase of the verse. And I realize it requires more words than the verse. But I'm trying to be as vivid as I can concerning what I see when I look at Ecclesiastes 5.8. Not just 5.8, but in the context of oppression and violence, and injustice, and unrighteousness. That is my paraphrase of it, and I want to repeat again. I cannot insist that anybody sign on to my paraphrase, but I ask that you listen to the verse that way. Listen to it again. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor, and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for... The high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. So what I'm seeing here is when the poor are oppressed and justice and righteousness ignored, do not be surprised if there are high officials in power who are watching each other. But they're not attending to the needs of the people. And in these layers and levels of bureaucracy and power, what is good and what is right gets lost. This tells us to do one thing. This is a passage that is both descriptive and prescriptive. It describes oppression, injustice, and unrighteousness and gives you a pretty good idea about what the high officials are doing. They're watching each other. 
And the prescriptive part of it is a prohibition. Do not be amazed. Don't be surprised. This is the way it is here on the earth. There is a relatively new translation of the Bible that's out that's called the Hallman Christian Standard Bible. I've not read enough of it to give you a review or a recommendation. But I looked it up the other day at this verse, Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 8, and I found it was interesting and perhaps it will be helpful. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation because one official protects another official and higher officials protect them. Now, we don't do politics here. This is a Bible class. You want to decide a corollary that you see between this and what's happening in the world today, you go ahead and do that. This is my best understanding of the verse. Ecclesiastes 5.8, questions or comments? Tony. You can see that in history, can't you? Sometimes the highest levels of productivity may occur in civilizations where there is an enslaved class. Now, the point is not that this is good for the poor to be oppressed and for justice and righteousness to be ignored in the interest of economics. Though there might be a good harvest. Solomon is not recommending slavery or oppression. Solomon is saying in all of this, here's the way it is on the earth. This is the way it is under the sun. Do not be amazed or surprised when this is the case under the sun. And the only application really for us out of this is captured by that imperative. That imperative. Do not be surprised. Now, Tony took me there, so let me, let me go back to 1 Samuel 8. We'll just visit 1 Samuel 8 for a few minutes. 1 Samuel chapter 8, I have described the context just a moment ago when the people wanted a king. 1 Samuel 8, verses 10 through 18. Listen to some of this. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be... His slaves, and in that day you will cry because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, 
but the Lord will not answer you in that day. When God said to the people through Samuel, when they demanded a king, this is the way it will be if you have a king. Now Solomon is saying, this is the way it is. It's sort of like this. You ask for it. You got it. Here it is. Now, if you try to live your life with just what you ask for and what you have in this bureaucracy, then you're not going to find ultimate fulfillment concerning your soul. This is the way it is. Questions or comments before we continue at verse 10? From verse 10 through verse 19, there is one primary reality, the grievous evil of the love of money. You have oppression all over this paragraph. And then within that paragraph, you have the causes of oppression, the bureaucracy, the officials who are watching over one another and not watching over the people. Now you have the love of money. Now, we need to be really clear. This is not about the existence of money, the earning of money, the possession of money, the use of money, the saving of money. What is this about? The love of money. In this whole paragraph where Solomon describes oppression here under the sun, and he attributes it to officials, now he attributes it to money, but we need to be very careful that we notice what he says about it. The love of money. And again, the imperative for us is don't be surprised. Where there is big, oppressive government and officials watching each other and not the people, where there is an enslaved class, and along with that, the love of money, don't be surprised, don't be amazed. Life here under the sun can offer very little. And if you leave God out, it's vanity and the striving after the wind. You know, one problem is the person who is in love with money is never really satisfied. You cannot fill the empty place in your heart with money, or shopping, or ownership, or wealth, or expensive entertainment. Only God fits that empty place inside you. Can I say that again? You cannot fill the empty place in your heart with money, shopping, ownership, wealth, or expensive entertainment. Only God fits that empty place. Another problem with the love of money is certain economic under the sun realities like taxes and inflation. You're familiar with that. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? If you get on your computer and look at your bank account every day, I think I know what you will see. You'll see it going and coming, right? You watch the money go in, 
and then you watch it go out. You can literally, with digital technology today, sit there and watch that if you want to. If you've got time to do that, you, you can watch it come in, then you can watch it go out. That's what Solomon's talking about. You just hope that what comes in will always be at least a little more than what goes out. Solomon says, don't be surprised about all this. Then he says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Whatever your income level, little or much, there is peace and satisfaction if you have worked for what you have. If you've been productive, providing goods or services that are legitimate and useful, wealth you gain through oppression and injustice, or we may say ill-gotten gain, or through career obsession, God left out, will likely keep you up at night as long as your conscience remains active. Don't be surprised about that. Know that sweet is the sleep of the laborer. That sweet sleep may be more valuable than the paycheck. Is that not implied? That sweet sleep may be more valuable than the paycheck. Of course, I know you're going to tell me what the problem is. Problem is, you can't go to Walmart or HEB and tell them that you slept good and you'd like a basket full of groceries. That doesn't work. Now, it is not just good income, it is not just wealth, remember, it is the love of money. That's part of the oppression Solomon describes in the paragraph. He puts before us oppression and injustice and he ascribes it to the officials who watch each other and not the people, and he ascribes it to the love of money. And it, it takes us to verse 13, which is compelling. Riches kept by the owner to his hurt. Not just riches, and not just riches kept. Riches kept by the owner to his hurt. And if you have the NIV... It says, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. This is excessive, obsessive hoarding that is self-centered. This is not just money and not just lots of money and not just keeping, investing, and saving. This is obsessive hoarding of excess that is inordinate that is failed stewardship and selfish and a creator of grief and not blessing. Solomon says, don't be surprised if you see this here under the sun. It is just here that I need to remind us of what Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. That's what we need to get from all this. Sometimes, Solomon says, riches are lost in a bad venture. He brings this up in verse 14. Don't be surprised if you see this. It leads us back to the conclusion that if you seek personal fulfillment in money, what happens when a loss occurs? One economic 
factor is not being able to perfectly predict economic outcome. Our economy is not as predictable as we would like for it to be. There are not perfectly absolute promises we can hold to when it comes to money. Uh, you've heard the expression, here, today, gone, tomorrow. Money can, can make you happy only in a very shallow, temporary sense. Long-term happiness has to come from some other source. Solomon, all through Ecclesiastes, says, if you're looking for long-term happiness and fulfillment of your purpose on the earth, uh, if you look here, you're going to be disappointed. If you invest here, it's not going to work out. And if you depend upon government officials, and if you depend upon hoarding money, it's just not going to work out. That's not where your purpose in life is to be found. Verse 15, he says, we leave just like we came. We didn't have anything when we showed up. Same way when we leave. You've heard me and other preachers say that you never see a funeral car pulling a U-Haul trailer. And that's the idea here. Verse 16 captures that so well. Just as he came, so shall he go. Here on earth, don't be surprised to see vexation, sickness, and anger, and injustice, corrupt officials, the love of money, and then you die. What should our reaction to those realities be? Depression? No. It should take us to where Solomon takes us at the end of the book. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon takes us close to that in verses 18 through 20 here in chapter 5. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. Mark that phrase and write along outside that the word grace. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given. <clears throat> what are you going to call that? Grace. To whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. What is Solomon recommending? He's recommending that we focus on what God gives us. And to see it as coming from God. And eventually Solomon is going to say one result of that ought to be, Fear God and keep His commandments. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. If you want joy in your heart, recognize that the good things that you have temporarily here under the sun come from God. And let that gratitude find expression in fearing God and keeping his commandments. That's Ecclesiastes 5, verses 8 through 20. Questions or comments? There's a writer by the name of Randy Alcorn. 
And he wrote out some of the phrases we've studied in Ecclesiastes and then added something practical at the end of the phrase. I thought this was good. I'll read some of this for you. Whoever loves money never has money enough. And then he added the point, the more you have, the more you want. That's generally so. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And he added, the more you have, the less you're satisfied. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And he added, the more you have, the more people, including the government, come after it. Isn't that absolutely so? And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The more you have, the more you realize it doesn't really meet your real needs. You just look at it. Remember I described sitting at the computer and here comes some income and there it goes. And here it comes and there it goes. You just look at it. Doesn't satisfy the real needs of your life. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb and as he comes so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. The more you have, the more you leave behind. Think of that. The more you have, the more you leave behind. Yes, sir. The more you get focused on what's under the sun, <clears throat> the more depressing it gets. So my focus needs to shift from what's under the sun to the maker of the sun. And make sure that my life is glorifying the maker of the sun. That's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. Takeaways. There, there, there's an underlying thread all through this about greed and how self-destructive greed is. It causes me to think of what is written in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. You will remember this as soon as I read it. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As Mike mentioned a moment ago, <clears throat> we tend to get focused on what's happening here. What we really need to do is understand that no matter what happens here, that we see that bothers us, that is troublesome and unjust and unrighteous, this promise is good. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, what do I need to do to embrace that promise? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's our challenge. And greed is self-destructive and detrimental to embracing such a challenge. Number two, Solomon has said this two or three times in Ecclesiastes already, and he knew about it from personal experience. 
Your heirs will likely be consumers, not investors. Now, there are exceptions to that. But generally speaking, Solomon wants us to know that if your life is all driven by what you leave in your last will and testament, you may be setting yourself up for disappointment. There's no certainty about that. What there is certainty about is, if you fear God and keep His commandments, He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So put your energy primarily on what is certain, and not just leaving a bunch of money to your kids. Number three, the righteous person... The righteous person is preoccupied with his mortality. Instead, the righteous person... uh, What am I talking about here? I jotted that down and it's not occurring to me. Righteous people need to be focused on their relationship with God, not focused or preoccupied with their mortality. Have you ever met somebody... And they just say to themselves all the time, and they bemoan the fact, and they may talk to you about it, I'm going to die. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to die. I don't know what's going to happen. Righteous people don't have that focus. Righteous people have a focus on their relationship with God, who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, Just about time for one more. Life here without God is futile. We encounter that just on every page in Ecclesiastes. I want to leave you with this quote I found the other day. This is from Max Anders' uh, Holman Old Testament commentary series on Ecclesiastes. None of us can control our birth or our death. Cryogenics will not save us any more than mummification saved the pharaohs of Egypt. There is no profit for the person who spends his entire life laboring for what is futile and perishable here under the sun. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study.